guys doing okay? <laughs> All right, one of you is good. All right, well, my name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. It's nice to see you. Um, this week, I did some peer-reviewed research. Um, and I went on to Instagram and asked some questions. Uh, thank you. One, literally one person, front row, got the joke. <laughs> guys, you're going to have to, like, get up and do jumping jacks or what? All right. Um, so I did this research. And I put on there and I asked people to answer the question, what is a Christian? And I put it, made it so that it was anonymous, so people could answer however they wanted. But that question was, what is a Christian? And of course, I got a bunch of different responses and none of them were the same. But here are some of the positive responses that I got. The first one, someone who seeks to honor the Lord in their life, who seeks to follow the example of Christ in the Bible. Someone who leads, serves, and lives Oh, excuse me, someone who leads, serves, and loves like Christ. Someone who adheres to the belief in Jesus Christ as their savior and teacher. But of course, I got some more complicated or maybe even cringy responses. Here's one. If Jesus were here today, I wonder if he'd call Christians Christians. It's interesting. That's what we're going to talk about today. The next thing someone uh, answered was, it's a label, a name, a misguided person believing a fairy tale. The last one I'll share is, generally you hope, you'd hope it means something good, but it doesn't always. I'm not sure if this person's a Christian or not, but they ended their answer with, personally, I'd always hope for a Christian to be around if I needed help. Clearly the word Christian can mean lots of different things to lots of different people. And we're going to look at that word here today. Now, I don't want to get into to, to the semantics and, and, and break down the word Christian because, of course, a lot of us in here are Christians. you watching online, of course, we're Christians and we're proudly Christians, and that's a good thing. But what I want to do today is focus on the type of, air quotes, Christian that has caused these types of negative responses. These Christians who have caused people to leave the church. These Christians that have caused our own friends, our own family members to get up, walk out the church, never to return. Maybe you're here today and this is your first time back to church and you're healing. You left the church because you were hurt. And I want to say to you that we're so glad that you're here and that you would trust us today, this morning. There's also, beyond our experiences and great Instagram polls and data, uh, there's real research out there from the Barna Institute, and this is a national global organization, and they, they surveyed thousands of people, and they, what they were doing was they were asking the question, why don't you believe in Jesus or why aren't you a Christian? And the number one response above them all was that Christians are hypocritical. The biggest complaint about Christians is we look a lot like this. We'll put it on the screen. Christians around the world, but especially in America, we're described as judgmental. We're narrow-minded. Next picture. We're hateful. And we're hypocrites. Christians who claim one thing but live a different way. It's confusing. Or maybe closer, uh, it's easy to look at those signs and say, well, I'm not that. But maybe closer to our own lives, we have a coworker, and she says that she's a Christian. But she sure doesn't act like it on the weekends with her boyfriend. 
Or you have a friend in class and he says that, she's, that he's a Christian, but you see on IG the way that he acts out the weekend, and it's like, man, if that's a Christian, like sign me up, right? Or maybe you know a Christian or a pastor who's had a moral failure. Sadly, when people think about Christians today, they don't think about the life of Jesus full of people, full of love and grace and forgiveness. They think of judgment and hate. To be honest with you, this has been happening for quite a while. As the Bible says, there's nothing new under the sun. In 1927, there was an American professor that had traveled across the world, and he came in contact, and he was interviewing the, um, the religious leader, Hindu leader, Mahatma Gandhi, and Gandhi said this. You've probably seen it, but this is what he says. I like your Christ, but not your Christianity. I believe in the teachings of Christ, but you on the other side of the world, speaking of Americans probably, do not. I read, Gandhi says, the Bible faithfully and see little in Christendom that those who profess faith pretend to see. There's some harsh and critical words that Gandhi had to say. I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians or your Christianity. We're in the fourth part of a sermon series called To My Friend Who Left the Church where we're talking to our friends, hypothetical and real, who have left the church. And to be honest, to my personal friends and family who have left the church, I actually don't blame you. I'm a lot like Gandhi. I love Jesus more than anything in this world, but there are times when I don't necessarily like or love Christians. We've gotten it wrong. We've gotten off course. We've strayed from the early followers of Jesus. We've strayed from the teachings of Jesus in the early times. And people are leaving the church because of it. If you've ever been hurt or disappointed by a Christian who didn't live like Jesus, you're not alone. You see, Jesus actually didn't like this type of Christianity either. When someone said that they believed one thing but lived another way. When you look at the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament, he was actually the most harsh and the most critical to anyone or to anything with people who were living one way or saying that they believed one thing and then living another way. He was incredibly harsh to these types of people. To people outside of faith, he was nothing but loving and caring and kind. Jesus called these people hypocrites. Here's what Jesus said to some of those, quote, Christians in the book of Matthew. And I love the message translation of this because I think it just paints a beautiful picture of what it is to be a hypocrite. This is what he said. He says, you're hopeless, you're frauds, you're hypocrites. You're like manicured grave plots, grass clipped and flowers bright, but six feet down. It's all rotting bones and worm-eaten flesh. People look at you and think that you're saints, but beneath the skin, you're a total fraud. On the outside, on the surface, you're a neat, perfect little Christian. You go to church on Sundays, you're in the Bible studies, you read your Bible, but inside, below the surface, Jesus says, you're like a rotting corpse, a fraud, a hypocrite. Those are brutally piercing words. But Jesus knew that you and I would be tempted to live like Christians, and it would drive people away from the church. Which, by the way, Jesus had a lot to say about how much he loved the church. The word hypocrite is used 17 different times in the Bible, only in the New Testament. And guess who's the only person to use the word hypocrite? It's Jesus. He's talking 
every time he uses it to people that claim to live one way but are actually living another. The Greek word here that the New Testament's originally written in for uh, hypocrite was most commonly used in the Greek theater. We have a picture of some masks that were uh, very famous and popular during the Greek theater time. And this is what hypocrites were when Jesus was describing and using that word. Is it, it was as if they were Greek theater actors. They would wear the comedy mask and then real quickly they put that one down and then they put the, the tragedy mask on. And that's what Jesus is painting when he calls these people, these quote Christians, hypocrites. Jesus says, when you act spiritual but you're doing it for show, you're a hypocrite. When you pray or fast to impress other people, Jesus would say, you're a hypocrite. When you say you're generous but you exploit others, the poor and the marginalized, Jesus would call you a hypocrite. These are the types of Christians that we're talking about here today. And that's why I want to challenge the Christians in the room today to stop being, quote, unquote, Christians. Those of us who call ourselves Christians, but we don't act or live like it throughout the week. You call yourself a Christian, and then you go out and get reckless on the weekend. You call yourself a Christian, but you cheat just a little bit to get that grade to pass that exam. You call yourself a Christian, but you hurt other people physically, spiritually, emotionally, sometimes, unfortunately, in the name of Jesus. Jesus calls his early followers and those of us here today to be something different. It's interesting, you can fact check me on this, is that Jesus never commands his followers to be Christians. In fact, he never uses the word. Instead, Jesus calls his followers to be something else, something greater, something more profound. Look with me in John chapter 8, Jesus says this, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. As you read the teachings of Jesus, he calls you and I to be disciples, not just, quote, Christians. And this way of following Jesus is a whole lot harder because being a disciple means being a learner, being a pupil, being an apprentice, a follower. And it means growing to be more like your master. We don't like that word master in America, and I get it, it's been used in wrong ways, but Jesus is the greatest master to have ever lived. He's humble, he's a servant, and he loves us. Being a disciple means that we're submitting to our master. It means going to our master and asking, hey, uh, what do you think I should do in this situation? How do you think I should spend my money or invest my money in this season of life? How would you respond? Master, should I stay in this relationship for any longer? And here's what's interesting is that being a disciple as we submit our lives to a master, as we actually do what the master tells us to do. That's a lot different than being a Christian. Before you get up and leave, I've noticed a couple people already leave. <laughs> Hopefully they just need to use the bathroom or get coffee. <laughs> Before you cancel me, I'm not suggesting that we stop calling ourselves Christians. That'd be weird. <laughs> but I hope that through this message and through the teachings of Jesus, that we will be compelled to be different, to be true Christians, actual disciples of Jesus Christ. This is hard, especially as we live in the middle of the Bible Belt where our culture is slammed full of cultural Christians, people who claim to be Christian but don't actually live like it the majority 
of time. Which leads me to a question, and I know that this is hard to listen to and listen, and to, I feel like I'm preaching to myself this week. But if someone were to come in here today and ask you and look at your life, would they define your life and your choices as that of a disciple or as a, quote, Christian? Fortunately, for those of us that are tired of being Christians, Jesus lays it out there for us in one uh, moment in, near the end of his life in a teaching. He teaches us how to be a disciple. What we're about to read to you, or what we're about to read, for those of you that grew up in the church or you're familiar with the Bible, this verse isn't going to be revolutionary. It's not going to blow your hair back. It's not going to go viral. In fact, you probably skip over this passage when you're reading your Bible because you've read it so many times. But if you and I would have gotten this right. If we Christians had decided, forget being a Christian, I'm going to be a disciple and follow this one thing that, te that Jesus teaches. If together we would have gotten this one element right, our world and especially our nation would be a whole lot better. There would be no wars or world wars in the name of Jesus. I don't think anyone would have left the church. There wouldn't be church splits. There wouldn't be Facebook arguments about religion. That the followers of Jesus would have followed not the Ten Commandments or the 613 commandments of the Old Testament, not the teachings from the epistles and the, books of, uh, the book of Revelation, as great as those things are. If we would have just gotten this one teaching from Jesus right, our lives would be different and our nation would be a better place. Here's what happens. Jesus is sharing a meal, a Passover meal with his apostles, his original disciples. And he knew what we know now, that the end of his life was coming close. He's about to be betrayed. In fact, Judas, one of his apostles, had already left to betray him at this point. So he's basically uh, sharing a meal with, these with, his, with his closest followers, and he's trying to summarize everything. He's been active in his ministry for three years, and it's like he's trying to give an executive summary or the Cliff's Notes, if you're old enough to remember those things. He's like trying to put it all into one little sentence or phrase for his followers. It's kind of like grandma before she passes away, and she's trying to impart or pass down a generational piece of wisdom to her grandkids. Or dads, if you've brought your kids to college and left your son, that, that final moment where you're teaching a lesson, you want them to remember. Maybe Jesus knew that his first followers would have a hard time and us together were pretty thick-headed and we'd have a hard time remembering everything. So he just boils it down into one simple, profound message. Look with me in John chapter 13. Jesus says this, my children, I will only be with you a little longer. A new command I give you. So there's all these old commandments, the, the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament commandments, and Jesus comes on and says, I give you a new command. In the Greek here for new, it, it means uh, something strange. Jesus says, I give you something odd, a, a, a new, a unusual, and impractical, a revolutionary new command. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, and then he lays it all out, what it means to be a true disciple of his. He says, love one another. His disciples were probably like, ah, oh, I thought you said it was new. We, we've learned this in the temple. Our rabbis have taught us. In fact, Jesus, you've already taught us that. Maybe they're thinking like, you know, he's already saying things about him going to die soon. And maybe he's a little off his rocker. I'm not sure. But there's this profound moment where Jesus summarizes it all and says, love one another.
And then he goes on. As I have loved you, you must love one another. There's not a lot of wiggle room there. There's not a lot of debate there about what he's intending to say. Jesus so often told parables or stories or he would answer questions with questions to try to make his, the religious leaders or his original followers figure it out on their own. But he just summarizes it and he's just straightforward. He just shoots like a straight arrow forward and he says, as I have loved you, you must love one another. I love just kind of imagining what that room was like. <laughs> he probably looks across and he sees Matthew, or he looks, you know, he sees Matthew, and he's like, Matthew, remember just a few years ago when we first met? You kind of had a bad rap, didn't you? You were one of those tax collectors. You were a traitor. No one liked you. And remember when you first started, we went and we went to that party, and it was full of other traitors. Did I judge it? Did I get mad at any of them? Jesus, I picture just saying, no, I love them. He looks down, he sees Peter, and he probably is like, oh, Peter, I don't even know what to do with you. In the time you lost faith, Peter, I know now what no one else knows, but that you're about to denounce me three times. There's going to be a rooster that crows. And yet just before this passage, Jesus had washed Peter's feet in one of the greatest, most symbolic, humble servant ways of love. He looks at everyone and he says, I know I told you all to be like, like kids, have faith like kids, but man, y'all are like a bunch of little toddlers arguing. Remember that one time you were arguing about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to take over? Jesus says, I simply loved you in those moments time we were on the boat in the storm and you guys lost faith. Did I get, I loved you. I think Jesus tells those men what he would tell us today is that you must love one another. Then he says, by this, meaning the love, everyone will know that you are my Christian, no, my disciples. We can all be Christians, but to love Jesus, to love each other the way that Jesus loved those men, it's a lot different. We can't really get around that one. We can't talk our way out of that new commandment that Jesus gives us. We can't proof text that command to try to win our argument with our in-laws or with our neighbor. And just in case we didn't get it and they didn't get it, he says it all again. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I know that most of us in here today and online, we're, we're Christians but are we the types of Christians that Jesus describes here? Disciples marked by love. Jesus tells the original Christians, I want you to love each other as a model of what it means to follow me. And I want you to begin to develop communities of people who are marked by this one commandment. Don't worry about how many times you go to temple. Don't remember how many scrolls you can memorize or how poetic your prayers are. Those things are okay. But I want you to focus on loving God and loving others. I know that the way that you dress, it's important. I know there are some things some Christians should do and shouldn't do. 
But those aren't the most important thing to me, Jesus would say. Love is the most important thing. And as you begin to build these communities of people that are marked by loving God and loving others, people will be compelled. They'll be drawn into your communities of faith. You won't need to force your kids to go to church with you. You won't need to bait and switch people when it comes to faith. They'll simply look at your community and see something's different about you. They'll look in and they'll say, wow, you see how those men treat those women? See the way that they take care of the sick, the disabled, the widows? Do you see how generous they are with one another? Do you see that one generation serving that other generation and that generation serving that generation? I know they're boomers, they're weird, and I know that they're Gen Zers and there's TikToks and piercings and tattoos. I know it, but you guys love each other and serve each other. You see how much they love each other? That that love is breaking down racial and ethnic barriers. Jesus says, I want you to go and build communities like that. And he says, they'll grow in number. They'll expand. They'll multiply. And people will look in and say, man, I don't know if I want to be a part of them, but man, I hope my daughter marries one of them. I don't know if I believe everything that they believe, but as my friend said on Instagram, I sure hope there's a few of them around the next time that I'm in need. They don't drive the nicest cars, but man, they sure do give away a lot of money. I don't know about the singing and the praying and the screen and the lights and the way Pastor Allen dresses, but the way that they love each other is different. They actually say, I'm sorry, and you're forgiven. It's unbelievable. Band, you guys can come on up. To those of you who have left the church, as I said in the beginning, maybe you're here today for the first time. You're back here today for the first time. If I had to guess, you left the church for a lot of different reasons. But maybe one of the biggest reasons you left the church is because of the way some Christians acted. You left because sometimes... If we're honest, we're hypocritical. We're judgmental, maybe even narrow-minded. You left because of the politics, the protests, the tweets, the news channels. And I want to say that as a professional Christian, I hate saying that, but I just want to say that I'm sorry. A lot of us, myself included, have done a really bad job of being Christian. But I hope today you'll see that there's a difference between being a Christian and being a Christian who's a disciple of Jesus, marked by one thing and one thing only, love. Love for God and love for others. And for the rest of us here today, I hope that we can begin to live together as true Christians, disciples, living out Jesus' command to love. Think about this with me for a moment. If our community of faith, a couple hundred people on the outer west side of San Antonio was full of these types of Christians, simply loving God and loving others, we'd not be marked by what we're against, but, but what we love 
our parents, our kids, our grandkids, our spouses, they'd all begin to be compelled to live a life of being a true follower of Jesus, not just a Christian. And our little church would continue to be a safe haven, a refuge for people that are coming back to church who have been hurt by the church or maybe have never been part of a church, but people would be compelled or drawn to be a part of our church. Not because we have great programs or great building or great messages, but simply because we love. May that be so for each of us this week as we go forth and live our lives. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you love us so much. And sometimes if we're honest, if, if we just confess, we don't deserve it. If we're honest, we can be hypocrites or judgmental and give a bad name to this idea of being a Christian. But you sent your one son, Jesus, to live here so that we could be renewed, restored, to through your spirit and by your spirit's power love you first and foremost as a beautiful master but also to love one another even when the other is unlovable they're different than us you call us to be true Christians disciples marked by love May that be the word that defines and describes Outer West Community Church.